Hi, listeners, and welcome to the True Crime Weekly Podcast, a podcast that is based in San Diego and hosted by me, Alina Trujillo, and my producer, Jose Fernandez. This is a podcast where I will be bringing you stories of murders, infamous cases, and unsolved mysteries. On September 28, 2001, a man fishing with his children found a torso floating in the waters of Galveston Bay. During a search, police officers discovered a man's arms and legs inside plastic trash bags nearby. The head was never found. This is the story of suspected serial killer Robert Durst. Okay, Jose, so I have to let you know and I have to let our crew members know that I stumbled across this story, okay? I'm not going to lie. So I saw Robert Durst's name and I was in shock only because... Yeah, why were you in shock? I thought they were talking about the lead singer of Limp Bizkit. Fred Durst? <laughs> <laughs> so then, but once I like started like digging more into it and I realized they weren't talking about the lead singer of Limp Bizkit, I was like, oh, this is another guy. So and then I was just, I was just hugged. <laughs> <laughs> it's too late. You're already up to it. But the whole time I was laughing because I was like, oh my God, Fred Durst, no. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so that's a little fun fact behind this story, Okay. So, Robert Durst was the oldest of four children, and he was born on April 12, 1943, and he grew up in Scarsdale, New York. He's the son of real estate mogul Seymour Durst and his wife, Bernice Hurstein. So, Robert claimed, actually, that at the age of seven, his father, get this, walked him to the window where he witnessed his mom jumping off the roof. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. So obviously as a result of it, she she died. Man, at seven years old? Yes. I, that's like something that could change your entire life. And his you know? father is the one that walked him right to the window. So, yeah. Makes you wonder why. Yeah. And that's the exact question I had because I thought it was kind of weird that why did his dad walk him to the roof? Like, did he know that she was about to commit suicide? So instead of stopping her or calling for help, you know, let me walk my son up to the window and witness it. Like, I don't know. But in my research, I couldn't find anything about that. But I did find it weird. So Robert underwent extensive counseling because of his mother's death, obviously. And doctors found that his deep anger could lead to psychological problems, including schizophrenia. Really? So Robert actually was diagnosed with schizophrenia when he was a kid. But then later on as an adult, he was actually diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome. Okay. So Robert eventually became a real estate developer in the Durst organization. However, in 1992, his brother Douglas, he was actually appointed to run the family business. Okay. Mm, I wonder if that created a rift. Right. The brothers. Yeah. So the appointment caused a rift, just how you thought. So after the family appointed the brother, Douglas, they started to kind of push Robert out of the family business. Okay. Which eventually led to Robert suing the family for his share of the company. Mm, That makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so now let me tell you about the disappearance of Kathleen McCormick Durst, okay? Okay. So in the fall of 1971, Robert met a medical student by the name Kathleen. So, but get this, after just two dates, Robert decided to ask Kathleen 
to move in with him in Vermont where he had opened a health food store. Okay. Really? Yeah. Fast? Just after two (laughs) dates. So she ended up moving in with Robert in January of 1972. Mm -hmm. And soon after, Robert's father pressured him to move back to New York to work in the family business. You know, the family business that they were trying so hard to push him out. Right. So the couple returned to Manhattan where they married on April 12, 1973. So at this point, Kathleen was already in her final year at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine. Now, her plan was to become a pediatrician, okay? So on the evening of January 31st, 1982, Kathleen unexpectedly showed up at a dinner party that was thrown by a friend of hers, okay? Mm -hmm. And the dinner party was taking place in Newtown, Connecticut. So this friend noticed that Kathleen was upset and was wearing red sweatpants, which the friend thought was kind of odd, okay? So because she simply wasn't the type to go out in that kind of clothing, like... Kind of reminds me of somebody. Yeah, you. You. (laughs) (laughs) So that evening, Robert and Kathleen had gotten into an argument, and Robert said that he took his wife to Katana train station in New York City. So Robert stated that after he dropped off his wife, he went back home to his Manhattan apartment where he ended up having a drink with his neighbor. Now, Robert also stated that after he finished having that drink with the neighbor, that him and Kathleen had actually spoken on the phone. Hmm, So, okay. So remember, Kathleen had showed up at that dinner party unexpectedly, right? Right. So she ended up telling her friend that was hosting the dinner party you know what i'll just meet you later at the lion's gate in manhattan okay Okay. but kathleen never showed up at the lion's gate okay so the friend became concerned and she called the police right away to report her missing Mm -hmm. so days later robert filed a missing persons report as well so robert claimed that on february 4th the supervisor at kathleen's medical school called him and said that that she had called in sick on February 1st. and oh, was like days before. Yeah, yeah. And they also told him that she was absent from class for an entire week. Okay, that's there's obviously something wrong then. Well, not only do you think that there's something wrong, but get this. They don't even know if Kathleen really was the one that was calling into school saying that she wasn't going to show up to class because she wasn't feeling good. Oh, no. Yeah. So the day after Robert received that call from Kathleen's medical school, that's when he finally reported her missing. That's very convenient. Makes you think, okay, now I feel it's like I have to. Mm -hmm. Obviously, he doesn't care or he's responsible for it. Yeah. Well, get this. Just three weeks before her disappearance... Kathleen had actually been treated at Bronx Hospital for facial bruises, okay? So mm-hmm. she, so Kathleen ended up telling a friend that Robert beat her, but she didn't want to press charges. Oh, man. This was just three weeks before she went missing? Yes. So along with her being treated for those facial bruises, mm-hmm. Kathleen had asked Robert for a divorce and a $250,000 divorce settlement, okay? Mm-hmm. So instead of... You know, saying, okay, here you go. Robert canceled his wife's credit cards, removed her, removed her name from their joint bank account. Oh, damn. Yeah. And refused to pay her medical school tuition. Okay. So she's like, cut her off. Yeah. He completely cut her off. So, I mean, clearly the relationship was already in a bad place, right? Right. 
So Robert had actually put out a reward of $100,000 for his wife's return. Then he reduced the reward to $15,000. Are you kidding? <laughs> like, you know. Okay. Yeah. So just three weeks after Robert reported Kathleen missing, the superintendent at the Riverside Drive apartment found her possessions in the building's trash compactor. Just three weeks after? Just like three weeks Like he cleaned after. out of the apartment of yeah, her stuff? Yeah, like here, I'm throwing all her stuff away. So wow. obviously that shows how concerned Robert actually was about his wife. Right? Yeah, not at all. And that you don't think she's coming back. Exactly. So eight years after Kathleen's disappearance, Robert ends up divorcing her, claiming spousal abandonment. And in 2016, Kathleen's family asked to have Kathleen declared legally dead. And and that request was actually granted in 2017. Man, that's a long time later. Yeah. So, well, because I think by law, you have to wait. A significant amount of of years before you can do that. So Kathleen's family attempted to sue Robert for $100 million, alleging that he killed Kathleen and and deprived the right to bury their own daughter. So the lawsuit was dismissed because too much time had passed to follow the lawsuit. Mm, Interesting, because it's not really like a criminal case. Yeah, Yeah, it is. So, however, unfortunately, till this day... Kathleen is still missing. Nobody knows what happened to her. Wow. Yeah. I mean, he sounds super suspicious in many ways, just Mm -hmm. what you told me now. Right? I mean, all of that was kind of shady, and it was very suspicious. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you about the killing of Susan Berman after this commercial break. That was fantastic, Jose. You want to know what I just did? What'd you do? I just tried. I opened up, and you don't get any. I opened up the new wine that I received from Wine of the Month Club. So do you, Jose, want to treat yourself or someone special to great wines month after month? I would love to. Well, now you can with Wine of the Month Club. With Wine of the Month Club, you get three different bottles of rare international wine every month. You get to choose from all red, all white, or mixed. You can also choose to do a package every two months or three months if that's a better option for you. And every package ships with their monthly newsletter covering your selections and our listener favorites. Fun facts! We are a proud affiliate, which means if you go to truecrimeweeklypodcast.com, forward slash support the show and click on the wine of the club month link and sign up we will earn a commission you can support the show and get wine delivered to your door by using promo code holiday 15 to get 15 dollars off any four month club or you can use promo code holiday 20 for 20 dollars off any six months club which sounds like a win-win to me you get to stay home during this covid19 pandemic Quarantine by yourself and your wines. And they ship free. What? Hey, Jose. So you know that during this pandemic, it could even be scary to go to the grocery store sometimes? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you can save yourself that trip using Instacart. Instacart delivers groceries in as fast as one hour. Instacart highlights deals to help you save money. They find everything you usually buy. You can get smart suggestions for new items. They even pick the freshest produce and they keep your eggs safe too. We are a proud affiliate of Instacart. So head over to truecrimeweeklypodcast.com 
forward slash support the show and click their link. So Susan Berman was actually a very good friend of Robert Durst, okay? Mm -hmm. So Susan Berman was born in Minneapolis, Minnesota in 1945. And Susan's mother was Betty Ewald. And Betty was a traveling dancer who went by her stage name, Gladys Evans. So Susan's father was David Berman. And get this. So David was actually a gangster who, in the late 1940s, operated the Flamingo Hotel and Casino in Vegas. Wow. Yeah. So, but David was actually operating the Flamingo Hotel and Casino on behalf of Mayor Lansky and the Genevieve crime family. Interesting. Yeah. So Susan grew up in Las Vegas and later she moved to Hollywood, California. And Susan had received a Bachelor's of Arts degree in 1967 from UCLA, where that's where she actually ended up meeting Robert. Okay. Oh, okay. So that's where the connection is. Yeah. So Susan was a longtime friend and confidant of Robert. She even facilitated his public alibi after Kathleen's disappearance. Really? Yeah. So Susan was a novelist and an author, and she was working on a project for Showtime entitled Sin City, and it was being planned as Showtime's version of the HBO hit The Sopranos. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. So unfortunately, she wasn't able to finish the project. On December 24, 2000, Susan was found murdered, execution style, in Benedict Canyon in Los Angeles, California. So she was found after her neighbors called the police to report that her back door was open and her three fox terriers were loose. Oh, man. Yeah. So there was no evidence of forced entry and detectives believe the killer was let in by Susan. So it had to be something that she knew. Oh, yes. So get this. A month before Susan's murder, Kathleen's case was reopened. Really? Yes. Investigators searched Robert's property, which he had already sold back in in the 1990s. Okay. Yeah. So they also had divers search the lake that was next to the property, but they found nothing of value. So as investigators interviewed friends and family, get this, they all told them, you should go talk to Susan. Hmm. Yeah. So friends of Kathleen mentioned that if anybody knows about... Kathleen's disappearance, it would be Susan Berman. Interesting. I mean, obviously, she's Robert's close friend, and maybe I'm assuming that they're kind of digging into him, right? Mm hmm. So, but Robert ended up finding out about this, and mm-hmm. he mentioned it in a 2005 deposition that Susan called him shortly before her death to say that the LAPD wanted to talk to her about Kathleen's disappearance. Oh, man. Yeah. So, to me, I mean, doesn't this time and seem like it's too much of a coincidence, you know? So then could it be that Robert ended up killing his friend? Because, you know, she's kind of like, she might be the only person that actually knows the truth about what happened to Kathy. Exactly. So a few days after Susan's death, the Beverly Hills Police Department received a handwritten note postmarked December 23rd, which contained Susan's address and the word cadaver. Okay. So, but get this, the word Beverly was misspelled. Okay. It was spelled, it was spelled B-E-V-E-R-L-E-Y. Oh, so L-E-Y instead of L-Y. Yes. 
So Robert is known to have been in Northern California days before Susan was killed. The day that Susan was found dead, Robert had flown from San Francisco to New York, okay? Susan had actually received a very generous gift from Robert. It was $50,000, okay? So Robert did confirm to the Los Angeles Police Department that he had sent Susan the money. He also happened to fax investigators a copy of her 1982 deposition regarding his missing wife. So kind of like her say of what happened with Kathy or Mm -hmm. whatever, the alibi. Yeah. So from that point on, he declined to be further questioned about the murder. That's so weird. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, hey, we're investigating where you were regarding your friend's death. And by the way, I'm going to fax you over the alibi. Yeah, because pretty much what he's saying is, you know, I could have been in the area or I was in the area um, as travel records show. But to actually tie him to the murder... He was like, no, yeah, <laughs> that's and not going to happen. Exactly. I mean, reality is San Francisco. That's obviously not close to Beverly Hills. It's hours, mm-hmm. hours of driving or whatever. But it's not like it's next door for anybody who doesn't know the area. Yeah. So, but now Robert, you know, is being questioned not only of his missing wife, but now also the murder of Susan. So now, obviously, we have two people that he's kind of being tied to, right? Which mm-hmm. is Kathleen and now Susan. But now let me tell you the killing of Morris Black, okay? okay? So on September 28, 2001, a man fishing with his children found a torso floating in the waters of Galveston Bay. And during a search, a police officer discovered a man's arms and legs inside a plastic trash bag nearby. Ugh. But the head was never found, okay? Mm-hmm. So the bags contain a cover for a bow saw and a receipt from a local hardware store, a drop cloth, and a newspaper with a delivery address of an apartment house in Galveston. Interesting. Yeah. So the detectives confirmed that the victim, Morris Blank, lived there. Detectives discovered a trail of blood leading to the apartment's home next door. Wow. Yeah, so they didn't immediately connect the case to Robert because he was not listed as a tenant since he rented the apartment under the name of a female former classmate, Dorothy Siner. Okay. That's so bizarre. I know, right? <laughs> like, it makes me think, does this guy know what happened? I, I don't know. It seems bizarre. Okay, go ahead and continue. <laughs> so when detectives searched the communal trash in the back of the building, they found the name Robert Durst on a receipt from a local optician, which they used to determine that Robert was actually signer. So they had they- mail that went back to Robert, who, but really the person that was the tenant here was supposedly Dorothy Siner. Which they used to determine that Robert was actually Dorothy Siner, right? So Mm -hmm. Robert dressed up as an elderly mute woman and was claimed to be Dorothy Siner. As a mute woman? So (laughs) to cover up his voice? Yes. That's funny. So Robert went into hiding and moved to Galveston, Texas in 2000. So obviously Robert decided to, you know, disguise himself as a woman to avoid police inquiries. Okay. So Robert on October 31st, 2000 had been tipped off about Kathleen's case being reopened. So on October 9, 2001, Robert was arrested in Galveston. 
So that's basically a year later. So mm-hmm. after he found out, so that makes sense why he was hiding in Texas, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. As a woman. Right. <laughs> a mute woman. <laughs> right. A mute woman. Here's the interesting part, though. He had a saw in the car when he was arrested. But the next day, he was released on a $250,000 bail. Okay. okay. So Robert missed a court hearing on October 16th and was warned an issue for his arrest on the charge of bail jumping. Hmm. So then on November 30th, he was caught inside of Wegman's supermarket in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, after trying to shoplift. Guess what? What? Band-Aids. Band-Aids? Not just Band-Aids. What else? A newspaper. Okay. And a chicken salad sandwich. People get hungry. You know, I get hungry sometimes. <laughs> and obviously you have to read the newspaper and the band-aids are just in case I get a paper cut. Well, yeah. And the newspaper <laughs> you're reading it just in case somebody's looking for you. Yeah. It all makes sense. Right? So even though he had $500 cash on hand. Okay. Now it doesn't make sense. <laughs> he still decided to do this. <laughs> so get this though. The police searched his rental car and inside the rental car, they found $37,000. Oh, in cash, that's okay. Jump change. Yeah, exactly. Two loaded guns, marijuana, and along with that stuff, they also found Morris's black driver's license. No way. Yeah, and directions to remember that friend that Kathleen has showed up unexpectedly at the dinner party with the red sweatpants. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, they also found directions to that friend's house in Connecticut. Really? Yeah. Oh, shit. So Robert also used his time on the run to stalk his brother, Douglas. Remember, Douglas was trying to push him out. Okay. Yeah. So there's a rift there. Right. (laughs) So while Robert was stalking his brother, he was also armed. So he had a gun as he's stalking his brother. Okay. Oh, that's kind of crazy. Yeah. So Robert employed defense attorney John Waldron while he was held on charges in Pennsylvania and he was eventually extradited to Texas for trial. So Robert claimed it was self-defense. Okay. He took the stand and claimed that the two men had been friendly, which is interesting because wouldn't Morris Black would have thought that, you know, it was a mute woman. But Robert is also claiming that one evening he returned back to his apartment to find 71-year-old Morris Black waving his gun. Really? Yeah. So he says that they struggled for a bit and fell and that the gun went off. Fearing that no one would believe him of this because, you know, his wife's disappearance and obviously the friend... Susan, yeah, so now he's just got a list of people. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't look good if that's really what happened. Okay, I, supposedly. <laughs> right. So he said that he sat in a pool of blood on the kitchen floor, cutting up the body. What? Mm-hmm. Like, what would compel you to do that? Uh, well, he's a monster, so. Mm. So Robert told the court that on September 28, 2001, he arrived at his apartment to find his neighbor sitting inside uninvited. Okay. Okay. So Morris, who had the key to Robert's apartment, was watching television when Robert arrived. And Robert said that Morris allegedly had a kind of look on his face that, of course, to Robert, that meant he was angry with him. 
Okay. So while testifying, Robert gave no explanation as to why Morris would have been upset with him. But he said that he immediately feared that Morris had taken the gun that Robert had stored in his oven. In he his had a gun in his oven? oven. Not a safe in the oven. Well, you know. <laughs> so when Robert asked Morris where the gun was, Morris allegedly stood up and pointed the gun at Robert. So now Robert testified that, and I quote, I was concerned that Morris was going to shoot the gun, most likely at my face, (laughs) end quote. So Robert said he grabbed the barrel of the gun and the two men tripped and fell to the ground. And then while they were on the ground, Robert claimed that the gun just simply went off. Even though nobody ever touched the trigger, it just went off. Hmm. Okay. How convenient. Yeah. So Robert said, and I quote, we never really wrestled. I pulled the gun and the gun didn't move. He moved and the two of us fell back. End quote. So that's what he's saying. They didn't really wrestle. I just pulled the gun. The gun didn't move. So then he moved and the two fell back. Says this a BS story. Doesn't it? So Robert also testified in... Again, this is a direct quote from Robert saying, I pushed myself up on my left hand and I saw blood on the side of Morris's nose. So, end quote. So now Mm. he's stating, you know, like I pulled the gun. It didn't move. We happen to just fall back. And as I'm trying to stand up because we're both on the floor, that's when I happened to notice that Morris's nose was bleeding. Mm Kind of like, I don't know what happened. Yeah. So unfortunately, though, this is. You know, the story that Robert is going with. Unfortunately, Morris's head was never recovered. Oh, so how can they even tell if he was shot in the head? Right. So right. there was no way to prove his story. So Robert stated in a quote, Well, I keep going over the situation in my mind. And Morris was shot in the face with my gun in my apartment. And I had disguised as a woman. And the police would, I mean, even before I go to the point where the police were immediately going to look into who I am, Robert Durst, who happened to rent his apartment as Dorothy Siner and find out that I am this wealthy guy who rented the apartment well below his means. And there's all this media attention on him back in New York. I just didn't think I would be believed. I didn't think they would believe me. End quote. Wow. That's exactly. So that was very logical thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But at the same time, why? Because you're probably guilty of all those things. Right. So instead of calling the police like a normal person, he decided to get rid of the body, but it was too heavy for him to move around. Mm. And that's when he decided it would be best to dismember the body. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Very logical one thing, but not necessarily the normal thing to do. Right. Wow. Well, get this. What? The jury acquitted him of murder. Wow, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming it's because of self-defense. Yep, that's wow. exactly why. I mean, there has to be, I mean, maybe, like you said, the head was never found, so there's no way to prove that that's how he died. But, I mean, you don't get anything for dismembering a body? Like, that's just, and I then hiding? It's self-defense, just... which I still don't understand how it's self-defense when you dismember the body. There, There's no threat to you at that point, you know? Yeah. So, okay, but now let's fast forward 14 years later. Okay. 
where in 2015, HBO actually released a documentary about Robert Durst named The Jinx, The Life and Death of Robert Durst. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the series was directed by Andrew Jarecki, who previously had directed the featured fictional film All Good Things, inspired by Robert Durst's life. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, and wow. Again, this isn't Fred Durst. Right. Not Fred Durst. <laughs> not no. Fred Durst. So Robert had professed admiration for the film All Good Things and, and actually telephoned Andrew, okay, after its release, offering to be interviewed. So this conversation was recorded and incorporated into the documentary. Hmm. But remember, Robert hadn't cooperated with any journalist whatsoever. So Robert maintained his innocence during the whole recording of the documentary, The Jinx, okay? It wasn't until another piece of evidence revealed in the documentary, The Jinx, that there was a letter producers found that Robert once wrote to Susan in which, get this, Hmm. Beverly Hills was misspelled. Once again, it had an E before the Y. So L-E-Y instead of Mm L-Y Really? That's really a huge coincidence or clearly him who wrote the other one. (laughs) Yeah. It was also confirmed that the handwriting in both of these letters were nearly identical. No way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in the sixth and final episode, the filmmakers visit a forensic document examiner. And after analyzing both envelopes and other documents in Robert's block letter writing, he states that the two writings have characteristics that can come from one person and only be one person only. That's crazy. Isn't that yeah. like nuts? I've always found that very interesting, especially when it comes down to writing. Mm-hmm. They can literally look at two different pieces and link it down to the same person. So the director actually convinces Robert to conduct a second interview. So during their session, the director actually confronts Robert about the match in handwriting on the two envelopes that Robert acknowledges the similarity, okay? Mm-hmm. But he denies writing the letter about Susan's murder. Okay. So after the interview, Robert goes to the bathroom and apparently unaware that his microphone is still recording. Is live mic still? Yes. <laughs> he makes a rambling off-camera statement to himself, ending with, what the hell did I do? Kill them all, of course. Really? Mm-hmm. So on March 14th, 2015, the day before the finale of Jinx aired, mm-hmm. Robert was arrested in New Orleans on first-degree murder for the killing of Susan Berman. No way. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So on November 4, 2016, he was transferred to California and soon after was arraigned in Los Angeles. So his arrest was based on evidence discovered during the production of the show, okay, which contained the handwriting that matched the cadaver note alerting police to the location of Susan's remains. Oh, man. Yes. So Robert also had another longtime friend, which was a New York advertising executive named Nick Chavin. And Nick actually said that Robert effectively confessed to the killing after he had dinner in December of 2014. Really? Yeah. So he had testified that Robert invited him to dinner that December to talk about Susan and Kathleen, but that those subjects never came up. So after dinner, they were about to walk away. Nick said, and I quote, you wanted to talk about Susan? Mm-hmm. And at that point, Robert turned and said, I had to. It was her or me. Wow. 
Yeah. Okay, I think now I remember this case because I actually remember seeing that because he had supposedly testified against Robert, mm-hmm. right? And I think he that's when he said that. But more so, I think that Susan actually told this Nick guy that Robert had killed his wife, mm-hmm. but it was an accident. Yeah, like it kind of slipped. Yeah. But I think that she was trying to protect... They were both trying to protect Robert. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were. To say there's no sense in, you know, getting Robert into trouble if she's already gone anyway. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why he was keeping this a secret. But also what I understood was that Nick didn't say anything to the police mm-hmm. until Susan... He confirmed that Susan was killed by Robert, mm-hmm. which was based on this dinner. Right. So that's when he finally came clean about it and testified. Which I still think it's kind of ridiculous. And how do you hide behind that? Like, you're not going to say something when another one of your friends is telling you that a friend of both of you, a mutual friend of both of you just killed his wife. Yeah. Oh, but let's just stay quiet. But then my friend goes missing. Okay, now I'm going to say something. Well, I think he said that he didn't believe that was true. He didn't believe that he had killed Kathy or done anything to her. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like, okay, yeah, maybe, you know, not really believing or not wanting to believe it. Yeah. But now that now Susan's gone and it's very kind of weird that happened, what, a month after they opened their investigation again. Mm -hmm. It kind of makes sense. Like everything does kind of start to add up. And now like, okay, actually, if it was him. And now I know that he has the ability to do so. Mm -hmm. Whereas before I doubted it. So, very interesting yeah. testimony. And you know what? The other thing is, this is supposed to go back to court? Yeah. So, it's supposed Soon, to go back right? to court um, on May 17th, which that's when they'll, I guess, it'll resume. But it was put on hold, obviously, due to the pandemic. Wow. That yeah. should be very interesting to it see. It should be very interesting to see. Maybe they'll finally, you know, convict this guy. Because there's too much coincidence for I this agree. to be... For him to actually be, you know, innocent. I agree. I agree. And, you know, the family of Susan and Kathleen deserve to find out what happened to them. You know, especially Kathleen, the family still wonders. I mean, they have a feeling it was Robert, but they don't know for sure. Right. And where's her body? Yeah, exactly. So it would be interesting to see. And it would be nice for the family, obviously, to get closure. That's what they deserve. And... You know, I I hope that they do. So I guess we'll just have to stick around until May 17th and see what happens. And hopefully it doesn't get postponed. Yeah, it's weeks away. If you want to look at pictures and want more information on the cases we cover, you can head over to truecrimeweeklypodcast.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at Podcast True Crime Weekly. And I would truly love it and appreciate it if you would leave a five-star review and subscribe onto Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. The only way that people find out about us is through subscribers and reviews. Thanks for listening.